My name is Caroline Sanders, and you're listening to the Root and STEM podcast, a podcast exploring issues in STEAM education. On this episode of Root and STEM, we explore the benefits and risks of artificial intelligence and identify how it can advance to improve society. Generally, when people use the term AI, they're referring to machine learning, artificial intelligence, like deep learning. It's effectively a kind of technology where you've built a system that is sort of doing different kinds of pattern matching, and that pattern matching happens to mimic the way that a human brain makes associations. That's at least the way I think of artificial intelligence. So sort of mapping for a computer how we as people associate or cipher or try to cipher or decipher things, sort of taking that kind of pattern matching, that kind of connection, and mapping it to a technology system. But I should highlight that doesn't mean that machines can think. They cannot do that. It's more how associations are made between different points. So there's a variety of different ways you can use machine learning to make art. I make art about machine learning, sometimes looking at the processes that are used. So I make uh, data sets that we can think of as archives. And those data sets get structured and labeled in a way that could be used by a machine learning system. My process of doing that is also often to like call out or critique different kinds of injustices that we see in technology. But then I also create data sets to then make what are called GANs, general adversarial neural networks, which are like videos. So it's these kind of videos made from an AI. And the AI is making the video from all of the different images I've taken. So I often take like thousands of images to make a data set. Artificial intelligence, kind of like any new thing, any kind of technology, when it's sort of placed into society, it's not placed in a sort of passive way. It's very active, right? Like it's used in all different kinds of products and all different kinds of infrastructure across all different parts of our daily lives. Artificial intelligence is used in banking, for example. Artificial intelligence is used when you're selecting movies. It's used in any kind of search engine. It's really all around us. It's totally surrounding us. And it's really important to think through, well, what are different kinds of harm, either, you know, unintended consequences, unconscious or conscious bias that manifests inside of AI. And AI, in a way, can sort of push those biases, those harms more because it is a new kind of technology. And a lot of civil servants in local governments, for example, lack the ability to really audit this kind of technology or be able to sort of understand it in a way before it's placed into society. And I'm, you know, really oversimplifying something, but effectively the thing to sort of take away is like, we're using a lot of different kind of tools made by for-profit companies, right? And those tools can have an impact in society and they can have harmful impacts. And we're right now in the process of really generating a kind of understanding and fluency around AI and also an understanding of how do you preemptively understand these harms before they arise and also mitigate them as they're arising, right? So we're really asking public servants to do a lot of work in terms of understanding this new and emerging thing. And I personally think we should be really regulating this kind of technology so the onus also falls onto the companies to really ensure consumer safety and consumer fairness.
I think that there's a lot of work we really have to do right now and a lot of structures we need to set up. Some of those structures include, I think, public education, more advocacy, more research, also more regulation, and also just generally, you know, we're in a moment as, you know, all different kinds of cultures and all different kinds of societies coming together, trying to understand this at the same time. Everyone is gaining a literacy in understanding what AI is. And once there is like a better general literacy, I think we can start to have these conversations of what does a more like equitable world look like with AI. But I don't think that we're there yet. In some cases, we could argue AI is really helpful for recommendation systems, right? If you're using Netflix or Spotify, but you know, there's also probably a lot of artists or really good movies that are not surfaced to the top because of an algorithmic search. And maybe that seems really benign, right? That's like, oh, we're just talking about entertainment. Well, let's apply that to something else. What if someone's searching for businesses inside of Google and you're trying to find a business and maybe your business even though it's relevant for whatever reason, maybe not a lot of people have reviewed it on, on Google, maybe they haven't reviewed it on other places, it may not get shown in the search results. What I'm describing actually happened with TripAdvisor. A lot of people's businesses, because they were not either paying to be on TripAdvisor or, um, no, no, sorry, it was Yelp. They weren't paying to be on Yelp. They weren't signing up for this Yelp program. Their businesses were not shown, even though they were super relevant, even though they had like a really thriving sort of user base. And a lot of that was done through like algorithmic search and also then just, you know, maybe less AI and more just hard coding, like suppressing it. But that had a real material effect on people. Their businesses lost business. So it's hard to say there's all different kinds of harm. Like there's all like, you know, we could go to one end where artificial intelligence is being used in weapons. That's obviously harmful. Artificial intelligence is being used in things like predictive policing, so creating criminal justice software and applications that are trained on historical data, and that, you know, as ProPublica found in their 2018, you know, really canonical um, and landmark investigation called machine bias, that these predictive policing softwares were rating people of color as being more likely to commit a crime, even if this was the first crime they were committing, and giving them harsher sentences over white people who actually had committed more crimes and they were getting less sentences. And, you know, we have to sort of pause and say, like, a lot of the data that that was coming from, it's coming from this historical arrest data. But, you know, I'm speaking probably to a North American audience. I'm from Louisiana, which is the highest rate of incarceration in the United States. And the United States is the highest rate of incarceration in the world. So if Louisiana were a country, it would be the most incarcerated place. Louisiana is in the deep American South, or the United States South, um, and it has a lot of racism and a very violent past. So if we're using historical data from policing to inform future policing, we're using racist data. People in Louisiana, Black people, were overly policed, overly arrested at higher rates and given harsher sentences. So that data we're using to inform predictive policing is flawed data. And I feel comfortable arguing that that's probably true of like a lot of, like almost probably every city in the United States as well, right? That black people were incarcerated at a much higher rate, right? So we can't use that kind of data. So a lot of historical data, if we're thinking about, regardless of what it is, is probably flawed. I think technology made by a community for a community is helpful. And what I've seen in in the space of AI is not AI tools, but data, data cooperatives. So like, 
data collected by an indigenous community for an indigenous community. And I've been doing a little bit of research in this, and there's like a few that exist in Canada. There's a really amazing like Maori-led data um, like media collective where they've actually been working with Mozilla's Common Voice to generate an AI model to help sort of preserve and understand the Maori language. Um, but it's it's maintained by the Maori and it's maintained in a community. And if you're an outsider, you really can't access it. They have a few different levels of refusal related to it, which I really love. And so I think that like data and technology made by a community for a community is the way to go. And I, you know, I don't know if I can speak to like how that can empower an indigenous community because I am not indigenous. But I have seen, again, community run work by indigenous communities, especially around things like data, used to empower the community. I do find AI inspiring, especially for art, because I use it in a way that is almost like a collaboration. So, you know, I spend a lot of time like putting together a data set. I understand like what's in that data set. But when I work with an AI system, I don't necessarily know what the outcome is going to be. And because this AI system is doing things that are inherently non-human, I don't know what's going to come. You know, I'm, I'm reflecting on this AlphaGo documentary I watched with Google's DeepMind, and they had built an AI system to play the game of Go, and they played against one of the leading champions. Um, and the leading champion won, I think, one time against the system. What the champion talked about was like really analyzing AlphaGo, the AI system's moves, and recognizing that like this system was making moves in a way he had never seen before. That kind of makes sense, right? Because he's playing against a non-human entity. And so I find that kind of connection in a way in terms of making art um, really inspiring because there's something being processed in a way that's different than how I process information. And I feel like in a space of art, that's extraordinarily helpful. Now, if I were using this in a space of research, this could be really, really dangerous. But I find it really, really helpful in terms of art making. I think that there are like equitable uses of AI, for example, if we're thinking of like climate change simulations, one of the things AI does really, really well is process large amounts of information and being able to sort of see that and see different kinds of scenarios play out in relationship to climate change is extraordinarily helpful. For more about artificial intelligence, check out The Root and STEM magazine at pinois.com or available to download on your streaming platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google.